Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are jumping into the second half of Luke chapter 11, and we start with the sign of Jonah. We continue to get uh, feedback from you guys, and some of the feedback that we've gotten on the Version Bible, I actually want to hold on to until we get to those weeks, because there are some questions about particular passages that I want to make sure that we are able to answer inside of that week, or at least speak to inside of that week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, If you have questions on anything uh, biblically related or specifically where you know we're at in the podcast, feel free to send us an email at piercepointchurch at gmail.com, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com, or barneyestes at yahoo.com. You can also uh, put a comment in the Facebook thread and move that forward a little bit. We'd just love to, um, we'd love to engage with you in some way. So without further ado, we're jumping into verse 29 and what many Bibles would uh, highlight or identify as the sign of Jonah. I'm going to read through a couple of these verses and then I want to turn it over and see what your thoughts are. Uh, Mr. Estes. So here we go. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign and yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the son of man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this? Yes, some, some, really, uh, some, some really intriguing scripture there. It starts off with uh, Jesus talking about the generation. He says, this generation is a wicked generation. So, so, so immediately, he's, not, he's not, probably not gaining a lot of friends. There was crowds, and it says, and the crowds were increasing uh, and he and he says this. He said, and it seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah. Well, let's start there and talk a little bit about it. this. Will require going into a little bit of the background of Jonah and and the whole whole story and uh, uh, and how 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 that how that played out. Absolutely. The first the first observation for me uh, is that we can't we can't lose sight that the crowds were increasing 
after Jesus had done his previous teaching that mm-hmm. uh, blessed are those who hear the words of God and observe it. The crowds are increasing. I mean, he's he's setting demon-possessed people free. He's doing all of these uh, pieces, and the crowds are growing. And he calls out the generation as a wicked generation. Now, it is really uh, it is really valuable when we're reading this to to recognize uh, when something stands in opposition to another thing. So, a wicked generation could be nebulous. Mm-hmm. We could go, mm-hmm. well, what does mm-hmm. that mean? I mean, were these people, uh, you know, uncharacteristically evil or something like this? But the def- the definition. Uh, of wicked generation is what comes next. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. And then what we read throughout this thing is that they refuse to repent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about when we define a wicked generation is we're talking about ones who seek for a sign and ones who refuse to repent. Now, I just, I just, I guess, would say right off the bat, let's look at the, let's look at the idea of what it means to seek for a sign. The this sign in particular was something that made it so Jesus, so they knew they, that Jesus proved who he said he was. Mm-hmm. This was a a miracle that demands a defined authentication of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is slightly different from from a people group that says, "I just want God to heal my brother or heal heal my mother or something like this." Now, this is where I would caution people, because if you're the person who says, "If God will heal my brother, then I'll believe in Him," just understand you're actually just like this generation. Mm-hmm. They're saying, yeah. "If you'll do this, we'll believe who yes. you say you are." I think there's a there's a subtlety there, but it, there's a danger there mm-hmm. if we're not careful. Yeah, you had said in our in our previous podcast that this when they use the word for sign, it was an attesting miracle, something that would back up the fact that Jesus was who he said he said he was. And and it is so important to note that while these folks were looking for a sign, and, and and some of the signs that they were looking for, there were some in the crowd that were looking for Jesus to come and squash the Roman Empire. There were there were some in the crowd that, that were looking for Jesus to take over uh, all, all of the, 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 the temple and and the the Pharisees, and and he would be he he would be in charge of all of that. They were looking for a, a, a lot of different things to prove that who who he said he was that he actually was but he's but but note that he he uses the scripture again to say you you've gotten a sign you just missed it along yes. the way but you have a sign that right there is one of the most important pieces for a modern mind to keep to keep running over. They need to think about this. Many people, I hear many people, and I especially hear this, and again, I say this a lot, please understand that I am not attacking my charismatic friends um, because I deeply believe that God is still moving today. I do not hold, uh, I do not hold a, a an abiding fellowship or an abiding uh, love for those who believe all that God does and what he used to do has ceased today. I just don't see that in the text of scripture. I believe deeply that God is still moving. But the challenge that many charismatics face is they believe that if we were just a more supernatural church, 
if if the church was just more uh, uh, filled with supernatural miracles and signs and wonders, that we would necessarily see a great revival, mm-hmm. more salvations, more people coming to the Lord. And the facts are in the text. Mm-hmm. The facts are these people had seen Jesus heal people, raise them from the dead, and cast out demons, and yet their petition continually was, give us a sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. What about those three signs? Yes. Are you missing, right? You just said it. They wanted a sign, but what they mean was, we want a different one. Yes. We want one that you're not showing to us. Mm-hmm. And and of course, I, I just I'm skeptical in this of these kind of naysayers. And as I look at these naysayers, my view is it wouldn't have mattered what sign he gave them, they would have wanted another mm-hmm. one. That's mm-hmm. my view mm-hmm. of that, right? But just to my my charismatic friends, all that I want you to to think through, and you, you can still disagree with me, that's fine, but I want you to think through this. Even if we were healing the sick, raising the dead, and casting out demons every day and ridding people from hospitals and, and you know, emptying hospitals because everybody's healed, you believe that that will necessarily re- lead to revival, and it didn't in Jesus' day. It did not lead to that. And so instead, uh, he says, no sign's going to be given to mm-hmm. you. I've done what I need to do. Yeah. So you need to hear that. So there were, there were some that believed and they did not believe necessarily because he provi- provided a, a sign sure. other than the ones that we're going to talk about. So it is, it is, it's just an amazing fact to see that Jesus is telling them that there is this sign that you've been given. And, and they, they knew the story of Jonah. They, had, they, they understood what that meant. So it might be helpful just to just to understand, I'm sure that everyone has heard the story of Jonah and and his and uh, his uh, ministry to the Ninevites, or he was so, somewhat a uh, uh, he he wasn't a willing minister necessarily, yeah, absolutely. But but he he went and he preached to them, and so Jesus is saying here, keeping in mind that that that. The idea was that this the, these people needed to repent. They needed to come to Christ. They needed to put their trust in Him. And the same thing could be said of the of the folks of Nineveh. They they needed to hear the word of God as it came through Jonah, and they needed to repent and they needed to turn. And they did. And and he says in in verse thirty, for just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So he's saying, okay, now I've told you that the sign of Jonah is going to be all that you're going to get, but look at me. I am that exact sign. Yes. I'm, ex- I'm telling you exactly what Jonah told the folks at Nineveh. Yes. So I, I, I think exploring the differing views of the sign of Jonah is worth thinking through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just want to offer my uh, my view on this whole thing. Uh, some view that the sign of Jonah was the preaching of Jonah to the Ninevites, right? And what happened after Jonah preached to them? They repented. They repented. Now, just uh, a short time later, in the grand scheme of life. Just a short time later, they had gone back on that and then God uh, judges them, right? So that, that's an important piece of the story. So one view of the sign of Jonah is the preaching of Jonah and the repentance of, uh, of Nineveh. The, another view would be the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by a whale. <laughs> and um, 
I just simply don't see that that is the case, okay? I don't think that that is what they were to take away from this or that that was what was going on. A lot of people associate that's his death, that's his burial, that's his resurrection. Jesus is going to go through that same thing, death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore it's going to be there. The issue, though, is the sign of Jonah and the sign of the Son of Man um, is already present. He's already there, and yet they won't repent. Here's the way I see it. I think the sign is this, that, so let's read it just really quick. He says, this generation seeks for a sign. That word literally translates a testing miracle. It seeks for an attesting miracle, and yet no attesting miracle will be given to it but the attesting miracle of Jonah. For just as Jonah became an attesting miracle to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. I think that first understanding is closer. I think there's something to do with the preaching, but here is the miracle. In view of a sinful, broken people, Old Testament, mind you, God shows mercy. Yes. And in view of that mercy, Nineveh repented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In view of that mercy, the only thing that the generation that Jesus walked into did was accuse him of being of the devil. Mm-hmm. I think the attesting miracle is that God overlooked the sins of man temporarily to redeem them Mm -hmm. and to save them. To me, most amazing miracle that we can fathom is that he would redeem us. And the sign of Jonah was a message that spoke to Jewish people for ages that when they got... Uh, when they got mad and self-righteous and thought, don't you save those people, God, they're evil and vile people. The story of Jonah, the story of of Nineveh is that God is a merciful God who wants all to come to repentance. So much so that the person who is unmerciful in that story is Jonah. Jonah. Jonah wants them dead and God wants them alive. That is the miracle. And now what you have is Jesus who, who says, I've not come to condemn the world. Mm -hmm. I've come to save it. Mm -hmm. This is the mercy of God. I think that's the miracle Mm -hmm. of the sign of Jonah. It seems to be. And the fact that he used used an unwilling servant, if you will, in, in Jonah to do that is it just, it makes me, it makes the story richer uh, just because I like the details of yes. the thing, it is. An, it's to me, it's amazing that he took a man who who hated the Ninevites as much as Jonah did and was unwilling to go. But God still, through His mercy, took uh, it, God's plan was that Jonah go. Yes. His plan was that Jonah go, and 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 Jonah, after after a series of events, we know the story. Yep. Finally went. And God's mercy was shown to those people. Yes. God's and, mercy was shown. And as we've seen throughout all of the Old Testament stories, those which are a type and shadow of Christ to come, the, the person that represents Christ in the Old Testament story, say it's Moses, say it's, uh, say it's Joseph in the story in Genesis, say it's Jonah in this story, all of those David, all of those Christ-like figures were but mortal men. They, they were unwilling at times, just as Jonah was. Mm-hmm. But when we see Christ, what we see over and over is the, is the full obedience to God. Jesus is the right version of all of those shadows. Mm-hmm. He is the willing servant who goes to the cross willingly for a generation. Mm-hmm. 
that is an that is an that's a miracle that we cannot uh, really plan ourselves. We cannot do this. Yeah. You know. So, that's... so verse thirty for uh, for just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse thirty one, the Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was not a friend of of God, the Queen of the South, right? Absolutely. Beca- because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of yes. Solomon. Yes. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Yes. That's a staggering statement she, to a Jew. Absolutely. She and keep keep in mind we have that story is found in 1 Kings 10, but it is she was a Gentile queen. She was yes. not. She was not a Jew. And uh, she, as you said, and, and as it clear, clearly says, she came far. And 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 she, after she heard that, it, she praised the God of Israel. And you know what she didn't do, which was interesting, very interesting to me, is that she didn't say, well, if you'll show me more, I'll believe. She didn't say, hey, uh, all that's really good. And I kind of like what you said so far, Solomon, but I need to see something else. She she did not say that. She she immediately understood that God had given him that yeah. wisdom, and it, it's a great story. This is this is quite quite yeah. a, quite a uh, intriguing story. Yeah, to me. the psalmist would say something along the lines of God. Um, God ordains the praise of praise of his enemies, right? The queen of Sheba, uh, the queen of the south here, 1 Kings 10, 2 Chronicles 9, she offers to Solomon all of these riches. Yes, there, yes. There, is a, there is an offering of praise in some capacity for this. But like you said, never once is it, uh, well, I believe if you just show me more. That's what the Pharisees are doing. Mm-hmm. Then verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, make no mistake, there was a view that Jonah and Solomon were were well thought of. Oh, absolutely. Right? Don't, I mean, were they screw-ups? Oh, yes, they're human beings. But they were great. And one greater than Jonah is here. I think that that's powerful. I, I, I... I think there's a common theme with this. If you look at this and you think, it seems clear to me that, well, first of all, the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba, same same person, and the men of Nineveh had something in common. They were all Gentiles. Yes. They were they were all, but they had a more open heart to to the things of God than than the religious people that Jesus was talking to at this point. Yes. And 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 they uh, they these people that he's talking to wouldn't believe and receive the work of God that was right in front of them. They wouldn't they wouldn't believe that 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 he was who he said he was, that was right in front of them, and the work that he was doing that had been prophesied by their prophets for ages of time. Absolutely. And these people, these two Gentiles. Groups of Gentiles, first being the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh, Gentiles. Yes. It's quite an amazing story. Not only have we, not only are we, are we going to really stress the point of this statement here, but we've actually seen Jesus say it before. He says, "If if the miracles done in your midst 
were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented mm-hmm. by now. Yeah. We just read that. Yes. We just studied that. So so what we have here is not, and I, I do believe that this is important. So if you're, if you're an avid student, please hear what I'm about to say. This is not Jesus saying, the Queen of Sheba is mine. This is not God saying the Ninevites are saved. This is not saying Tyre and Sidon or Sodom and Gomorrah are in good standing with God in any way. Right. Here is what is said by this, uh, this idiom or this phrase that is being used here. As wicked as these people were, they're qualified to judge yeah. this wicked yeah. generation. Yes. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. okay? In, in Corinthians, we see Paul says, why is it that you guys take your legal cases before the world? Isn't there someone among you that's wise enough to be able to deal with these cases? Mm-hmm. Aren't you the people? And here's what, here's what Paul says, and it's amazing because we don't actually really get what he's saying. He says, don't you know that you will judge the world? Don't you know that you, the church, will judge angels? <laughs> and as N.T. Wright would say, he says, uh, no, Paul, we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a curious idea. But here's the point. The people of God, the people that he makes covenant with, ought to be the, the, the top of the list. They ought to be a people of faith and trust and humility and, and wisdom and all these things. The Jewish people, uh, Jesus is saying to them, he says, the Ninevites are more righteous than you, which means they're going to judge you. You ought to be the people who stand in judgment over all things. And guess what? These wicked places are going to judge. They repented when you mm-hmm, didn't. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, it's for Jesus to stand in front of this group of, of Pharisees and, and, and the teachers of the law and Jews, devout Jews, and, and, and to make a claim that, that he is greater than Solomon, who was their, their, the, Israel's richest king and wisest king, would seem outrageous to them to stand in front of them and, and say things like that. But he brought the focus back on himself. And I use this scripture a lot. My goodness, I, 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 I can't, I don't ever get tired of the way that Jesus explained this to the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. And those scriptures talk about me, Christ said, and you don't believe them. Yes. You don't believe it. And they use the very scripture that they don't believe to say, well, Jesus is not the Christ. Exactly. It's amazing to me. Wow. So uh, previously in a podcast, we talked about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's standing there with Moses and Elijah. And what do Moses and Elijah represent? obviously really Mm -hmm. Moses and Elijah, but they also represent the law and the prophets. Moses, the lawgiver, uh, Elijah, this kind of chief prophet. In this case, it is worth considering that what has been established here is greater than Solomon and greater than Jonah. What is being said here about Jesus is... There is a greater king present. Mm -hmm. Now we have law and prophet, but here we have king and prophet. Yes. And Jesus is the greater king and he is the greater prophet. Uh, Just something that if we look past it, if we read it too quickly, we're just going to miss that. And Jesus... Jesus means everything that he's trying to imply here and everything he's trying to say here. Mm -hmm. And when you hear it, or if you were a Pharisee and you heard this, um, is there any wonder? 
I love I love going through the text of Scripture because, especially the Gospels, because the question I come to every time is: It any wonder they tried to kill him? Yeah. yeah. He we we paint this picture. These stupid movies we have. Jesus walks around like he's hippie Jesus and he's loving everybody, <laughs> and they kill him because he was love. Yeah. No way. Not necessarily. No way. No. He looked at no. him and said, "By the way, I'm better than your best yeah. king, and I'm better than your greatest yes. prophet." You, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. to them. Hang him up and kill yeah. him now. Yes. He was inciting all kinds of problems, but he was doing so speaking the truth. Absolutely. That's powerful. And we're going to see where that, that very thought that you just just brought up, he's invited to a Pharisee's home, and it's, uh, we're, we're, we're going to get there. Yes, it's beautiful. But so, I'm sure that the Pharisee probably <laughs> said, I should have never brought this yeah. guy in. Oops, big mistake, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's just kind of yeah. cap on 33 yes. through 36. No one after alighting a lamp puts it away in the cellar nor under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Okay, so, so here's the deal. We are light bearers. Jesus is the light ultimately, and that light yes. needs to be in them. We're going to see why this is so important here in a second. That light needs to be in them. Otherwise, it's complete darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he's calling them to accept the light the light of the world. He's calling them to accept himself. Verse 34, the eye, what you're seeing, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, okay, this is really cool because Mm -hmm. clear literally translates healthy. Yes. Right? What did Jesus come to do truly in the atonement as I see it? Jesus came to heal our sicknesses and cure our diseases. It's not physical. The idea as I see it, okay, and I know I just threw out a grenade there, but uh, as I see it is what he is claiming for us is that he came to heal this darkness that is in our eyes. We can't see. So he sets us free. He comes to give sight to the blind, to give freedom to the captive. All of this is salvation language, right? And so the eye is the lamp of your body. Mm -hmm. And when your eye is clear, guess what? Your whole body also is full of light because it can see, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You see Jesus, and what do we do? We're a lamp. We reflect the light. We're not the source of light. So then he says, but when it is bad, that word literally translates evil. Yes. And when it is evil, when your eye is evil, your body also is full of darkness. So these, these are fighting words again. He said it again to him. <laughs> Verse 35, then watch out. That the light, that the light in you is not darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think, you might think it's light, mm-hmm. but it turns out it's darkness. Yes. Why? Because your eyes are evil. Mm-hmm. You are of your father, the devil. And then concluding this, if therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined, completely illumined. And when, or as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Mm-hmm. What a powerful truth. Such such awesome truth. I love the picture that Jesus paints here. It, it's just like, just like uh, the the example of of an unhealthy eye, an unclean eye. A, a bad eye will make a person blind. So that that bad heart will make you spiritually blind. Yes. And and to be he was saying to these people that you got to be spiritually blind to first of all backing up to what to attribute. Jesus miracles to Satan, you got to ignore the the teachings that he had that was right in front of their eyes. Yes, you got to be blind. And then he goes on, like you said, when if you live in darkness, 
why why were they in darkness? And and it just in, intrigues me. Uh, was it because there was no light there? Absolutely no. not. Jesus was there. There was light. Yes. Uh, or was it the darkness that was in them? Absolutely. And, and, wow. and when we parallel that with what we've studied before, where the scripture, the scripture, Jesus is telling these people, he says, he says, those who have eyes to see will see, right? But those who don't have eyes to see, they yes. will not see. It's not talking about, well, there's good people and then there's bad people. There are people who will humble themselves at the truth, right? They'll humble themselves. And there are people who wouldn't humble themselves mm-hmm. if they were forced yes. to do so, right? So the point here is this darkness is a people who have been given sign after sign after sign, the sign of Jonah, now the sign of the Son of Man, the signs of his miracles. They will not repent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These are dark people. It's These are startling. dark people. It's yes. a startling statement. I, I think verse uh, 35 can be startling. He says, then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. How in the world does that, does that happen? It happens when you say, I have light because we're, we're in these folks' case, yeah. let's we're Jews. put it right in their context. We're Jews. We're children of Abraham. We know what the scripture said. We're going to know when the Savior, when the Messiah comes. We're going to know that. He says, uh, You've got light. God said that there was going to send one, but the darkness is that I'm here and you don't see me. Yes, yes. That's darkness. If you really knew the scriptures, Jesus says, you would know that they speak Absolutely. of me and they can't actually see it. So let's roll into verse 37. We'll try to try to rock this down to the end. Verse 37, uh, woes upon the Pharisees <laughs> right now. When he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. Worst mistake of his life. <laughs> and he went in and reclined at the table. So it's just kind of the, the typical way that they, they sat down on the floor around the table, reclining at the table, uh, often leaning on a side. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Okay, again, fine. He's, he's wondering this. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. Yes. <laughs> again, if you were wondering <laughs> why they killed Jesus, please read the Bible, right? Verse 40, You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And then he's going to go on to some more woes, but I want to, I want to stop there because, wow, yes. there's already enough. So, so much. Well, the, the first thing that is really intriguing is that, is that this man asked ask Jesus to come in and have lunch with him. I, and, and, and Jesus went. I, I, for, first of all, if you think about the increasing uh, uh, fervor of the Pharisees and, and, and the hatred that they had for him, and at this point, they surely want him dead at, yeah. by this time. And all of the things that were going on, and Jesus accepts this offer. You know, it's, it's, it's important to note here that 
Jesus didn't hate these people. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, oh, I hate you because you're so ungodly. Un, un, he didn't do that. He accepted the invitation yes. and went in. But he was on a mission. Clearly, he was on a mission. Now, I, I, I agree. I think that the Pharisee, probably at the end of all, all this, probably regretted that he'd invited Jesus yes. in, but he it's did. either it's either a great regret or we actually just don't have it in the text that yet again they were setting they were trying to set a trap it, it for him. Very well but what Jesus often does is either eludes the trap or he just turns it around on them and then they really yes. don't like him, right? So um, the idea is that that they're wondering about this ceremonial cleaning yes. uh, for Jesus. Do you have any, any thoughts oh my on that? Yes. Well, first of all, this, this Pharisee just was, just was amazed the fact that Jesus didn't do, uh, it's not that Jesus didn't practice proper hygiene. It was, that was not what this was about. Yes. Uh, it, he didn't follow the, the, the technical and, and, and the rigid rules that the that were practiced by many uh, pious Jews. So let me yes. just uh, quickly. There were many many things that the Jews added to the law of God. It was something called the Mishnah. Yes. Uh, Mishnah was also where, known as the oral tradition. The oral tradi- traditions where rabbis would come in and and they said, look. We believe there are details that God may have left out, and we're going to provide them. So they had the details of. So think about these ceremonial washings, and that, keeping in mind, and this is what we're talking about here. Uh, these this, they didn't use ordinary water. They kept this water back because ordinary water could be ceremonially unclean, according to the Mishnah. Yes. In performing the ceremonial washing, they started with at least enough of this water. They said they had it down to the down to the measurement to fill one and a half eggshells. <laughs> One began by pouring the water over their hands, starting at the fingers running down toward the wrist. Then each palm was cleansed by rubbing the fist of the other hand into it. And then water was poured on the hands again, this time from the wrist toward the fingers to get every, a really strict Jew. Now, now here's You're straight this. up geeking out here. I tell you, a really strict Jew would have done this not only before the meal, but in between each course of the meal. That's what they were surprised that Jesus yes. didn't do. He did not follow that. No, he knew that no. was the law of man. So not only this oral tradition that he's not following, but what's fascinating about this story versus what we would read in Matthew 15 when the disciples are criticized for not washing before the meal, this is a direct attack on Jesus yes. because Jesus doesn't do it and he teaches his yes. disciples not to do it again. Do you wonder why they tried to kill him? Yeah. So anyway, so so we have this refusal to submit to this. He was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. A lot of times in the scripture, you're going to read things like the traditions of men or the law of God. Jesus has no problem with the law of God. Right. He has a problem with the traditions of men. And he's going to reiterate that. As a matter of fact, the scripture speaks very well of the law. It tells us that the law can't bring life. It can't give life. But that has nothing to do um, with with what it was designed to do. The, the, the problem that Jesus has are these traditions of men, and they're all throughout the scripture. Because we're we're modern readers and English readers of the Bible, we often think that those are synonyms for the same, the laws of man and, mm. and the, and, or the law of God and the traditions of men. They are not the same not thing. The same. And you have to be faithful to distinguish the two of those. So verse 39, 
But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. What in the world? It's beautiful. These guys were careful to maintain the appearance of righteousness. They yes. were uh, they were careful to be ceremonially clean, uh, and and to and their dishes that he's talking about here, and their hands, and all the ceremony that they went through with that. But they they Jesus was talking about, and he gets to this a a clean heart and and it was totally different. He said, "You you guys are you've got you've got all the dishwashing things down good, but inside of you you're full of robbery and wickedness." They they were foolish because they they outwardly were clean while they were dirty on the inside yes. is what Jesus was saying. Yes. And and not just dirty, it's just a brutal you are you are thieves, you yes. are wicked, you are greedy, all of these things. Now, if, I, if I'm looking at this just kind of as a pastoral note, if I'm looking at this from a modern lens, and make no mistake, Jesus's heart towards this kind of hypocrisy is the same today. Yes. He would have the same problem with the person who shows up to church with their Sunday best on, the person who gives uh, uh, an exorbitant amount of money so that they have a nice tax write-off, but Monday through Saturday live like a hellion and is not generous mm-hmm. to the people around mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. You see, the idea is just because you clean up the outside doesn't mean the inside is what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can put, the old adage is you can put lipstick on a pig, yeah. but it's still a pig. And so just pastoral note, we have to look at ourselves and ask the question, uh, is the inside of us full of robbery and wickedness? Mm-hmm. Because if we're, if we're the covenant people of God, these are Jews. If we're the covenant people of God, we have no business being that kind of people. So he, he confronts them. He just really nails them. And we're seeing yet again in the wickedness of this generation, as we read before, it is that they are unrepentant. It is that they have a lot of problems and they refuse to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So he calls him in the next line, you foolish ones, which yes. is a pretty powerful line for a Jew. Yes. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Curious question. Yes. Very interesting question because Jesus is saying, you believe you've placed so much emphasis on the outside cleaning, the ceremonial cleaning, which does nothing for the heart. You're simply doing an act here. You've placed so much emphasis on that and, 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 you've, and you've forgotten that God, the same God that said, okay, uh, hey, I want you to be clean. He, he wasn't talking about yeah. he. he he made the inside. He was concerned about the. He said they're foolish because they they had either didn't know or had forgotten that that God who made yes. the outside also made the inside. Yeah. So they need to make the inside clean. Yes. So the important thing here is not to read this and say, "You foolish ones, did not He who made the outside make the inside also?" Therefore, uh, therefore, um, just work on the inside. Don't worry about the outside. What he's saying is. Even though the outside appears clean, it is unclean and so is the inside. Both are unclean or both need to be cleaned, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And here's why both need to be cleaned. If God changes the inside, that's what 
comes next. But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. If you'll do it from the heart, yes, if you'll do it from the inside, right. which, by the way, has to be has to be regenerated, has to be changed by Jesus Christ. If that which is from within changes, here's what's beautiful. All the outward expressions will be clean themselves. Right now, they appear clean. Yes. It's lies. You're greedy. You're covetous. You're all of these things. You're, you're a thief. You're a fool. So the truth is both were dirty, but the way that both become clean is that the inside becomes clean. And the scripture tells us out of the abundance of the heart, yes. the mouth speaks. Yes. From the heart flow the issues of life. This is the way cleanliness transfers yes. into the body. You can try to make it look good on the outside, but unless that inside is clean, it doesn't matter. As you've well said, giving, which is 41, they talk about giving what is what is uh, that which is within as a, a charity or a, a, a gift, giving, uh, and as you've well said, doesn't make things clean. Giving comes from within, what's, what's in the heart. And, and then when you have a clear conscious, a good standing before God, that, that then you're clean. Absolutely. Here in the next chapter, we're going we're gonna to read that Jesus sends out people again, but this time he sends them out in a very different way than we've read before, which is with no money belts and all this other stuff. He's going to say, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, therefore where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. He's not actually changing his previous instruction. He's teaching them to prepare eternal money or eternal money belts, if you will. But notice what he says. He says, sell your possessions and give it to charity. What did he just say to these Pharisees? He says, give that which is within is charity. Give your heart to this. You give it all. Don't worry about that. God will take care of that. But when the inside is clean, then everything changes. In Luke 16, 19, or 16, 9, he says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness this is a very complicated mm. uh, parable here. He says, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. The whole point, he uses this really obscure story to teach a point, but what we need to understand is the people of God are those who give, they're compassionate, they're kind, they're charitable. This is love here, right? And then all things are clean before you. Mm -hmm. So very powerful. Mm -hmm. The next piece, though, is another woe. So why don't you walk us through starting at 42. 42, he says, woe to you, to you Pharisees. For you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. Hmm. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. These Pharisees were so careful in their outward obedience that they would literally count seeds and leaves and, and tie the tenth of each of their seed that they got from a plant to, to God. And... It's and, rigorous and so, obedience. Uh, rigorous obedience. And and Jesus said, You you're going through all of this and you disregard justice and the love of God. And he said, These things you should have done without neglecting the others. <laughs> yes. yeah, it's fine for you. If you want to give a tenth of everything, okay, that's fine. That's a that uh, Jesus has no problem with that. Right. But uh, uh, he said the uh, the well, we're gonna see exactly yes. what he yes. means by this. Well, 
again, this concept, and I'm, I'm looking up the passage for uh, my, my mind works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but this idea of disregarding justice and the love of God, I believe it's Malachi that says it. Um, but the, the principle here is what does God expect of us mm-hmm. is to love mercy, to walk humbly and, or to do justice, walk humbly and, and love mercy. This is who we're supposed to be as a people. And yet these Pharisees weren't those people. Mm-hmm. They were meticulous law keepers or rule keepers. And as we've seen before, they were rules that they had invented, but they weren't connecting with the heart of God. This same thing happens when when the discussions of the Sabbath come up, where their view would be that man was made for the Sabbath to observe it and to obey it and to rigorously keep and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus turns it around and says, the Sabbath was made for you. I made it so that you would rest. The law, the true law, was given to actually uh, set their parameters and bring them, uh, bring them at least uh, a direction in life that would be pleasing to God. But these are the things he goes on to say that you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues mm. and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Mm. You're concealed tombs. People are going to fall into the trap of the poison that you are, the death that you actually represent. What stands out to you in those two? Well, I I really like the picture that Jesus paints here. I can tell you that this is a uh, uh, another stark warning to these guys. He calls them in a in another place. He calls them whited sepulchers. Another, he said, "You've whitewashed the outside of this tomb to make it look nice, but inside it's filled with dead men's bones. It's still a, it's still a tomb." And and he uses uh, similar similar things. You've got the outward appearance, but you don't right. you don't have the love of God in you. And he, he it's it's like. Uh, it's like if if you're going to be a soldier and all you learn to do is march, you're not a soldier. You're, you're just a marcher. A yes. And if all you ever go for is just getting the pin so that you feel like people identify you yes. as a soldier, it doesn't mean that you earned that. It doesn't mean that you, you're you respectable. It doesn't, doesn't mean any of that. You could steal your grandpappy's pin. Yeah. You weren't the soldier. He's the one who died for it. And so you got to be really careful. Yeah. So being being really good at all in in the in the realm of of living the Christian life and being a follower of Christ, being good at the outward things, we should be good at them. Absolutely. But just because we're good at them doesn't make us a good Christian but, or a good Jesus follower. Man, I can't I can't get excited enough about you bringing this back up to the point. Again, previously he says the inside must be clean so that the outside is clean. God does care about the outside, but the outside must be motivated Mm -hmm. from a clean inside. Uh, You know, if we looked at all the rules of the scripture and we said, we're going to follow them to a T, but we did not know Jesus. Scripture actually tells us, Jesus tells us he is going to respond to us. uh, Depart from me. I never knew you. But we did this and this mm. in your name. See, it's not about f- 
following the rules for following the rules' sake. It's about a transformed heart that the rules, that the commands of God, that the character of a kingdom people flow out of you naturally. Mm -hmm. And when a a character of a kingdom people flow out of you, what we see is a contrast to this wanting to be first in line. We see a kingdom people as a race to the back of the line, as Mm -hmm. we've many times Mm -hmm. uh, communicated to the church. So this is really, really important. Mm -hmm. So let's turn our attention to 45. And uh, here's what he says is one of the lawyers said to him in reply. So it's still (laughs) the same situation. Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. No, <laughs> duh. Okay? What not that an amazing thing? So the lawyer's mad because he's just ridden the Pharisees into the ground. Okay? Yes. But we're insulted too. But he says... You're right. I love you. I'm yeah, sorry yeah. to offend you. I didn't mean to speak out of turn. I, you know, if I caused any offense, I apologize. Nope. He's not a 21st century wimp. So verse 46, yeah. he says, well, woe to you too. Woe yeah. to you, lawyer, yeah. as well. Oh, I love it. He yeah. makes me so happy. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens yes. with one of your fingers. Go for it. What yeah. I mean. Well, first wow. of all, this guy was just—he was beyond an idiot. <laughs> why would why would he even come up and draw attention to himself when Jesus is on a roll here? He is giving scathing rebuke to everything that this lawyer stands for yes. because he believes everything. All of the things he said about the Pharisees could very easily, with exception of just one or two, could have easily been said about the lawyers and teachers of mm. that day, the, those that were experts in the law. But, but he, was, he was an expert in the interpretation and the application. Yeah. So keep important. that in mind. That's important piece to note. And, and Jesus is interpreting in a way that, by golly, he's insulted by it, <laughs> exactly. and he doesn't like it. Exactly. And Jesus says, yeah, with your interpretations, with what you believe you're, you know about God and his law, you weigh men down with burdens that they can't even bear yes. while you don't even touch yes. those burdens yeah. with one have, of your fingers. This, this, is a, this is an important question that we need to ask ourselves. Have we ever been in a church setting? And pastors need to ask this question of themselves in the, in the declarations they make. And congregants need to ask this question about what they felt in church. But have you ever been in a church where where the, the feeling is that unless you're able to spend the same amount of time as a full-time worker that your pastor does in, in kingdom work, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. The dedication, the devotion of the first century believers to the apostles' teaching was the devotion that they paid to waiting on the Spirit at Pentecost. This was a heavy devotion, so we've got to remember that. But if you've ever found yourself in a church where the idea is that the rule of your church requires of you more than or the same amount that the full-time minister does, there, there's a lack of grace going on here. Mm-hmm. You see, these lawyers did the same thing. What they did was their interpretation of the law created additions to the, to the law and their traditions, and it made serving God utterly impossible for the common man. Utterly impossible. impossible. You cannot do all that they asked you to do. You're not sitting in the temple all day. You're not able to do, you don't even have enough money sometimes to do the things that they're asking you to do. 
Sometimes we can do this in the church, and we've got to be careful. As a pastor, I want to make sure that I, I am leading people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says that we are not lords over your faith, mm-hmm. but we are people who care and work with you for your joy. Mm-hmm. That is our job. We must remember that. That is our job, to work with people for their joy. That does not mean we don't hold high standards. That means that we walk with them to be able to see how we can do it. Mm-hmm. And those standards need to be what God says, not what men say. That doesn't help us yeah, at it, all. It so, does not. It's not the best seat in the in the synagogue that that makes you a leader. It's not the it's not those that wear the the grandest robes. Or and 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 there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things, but it does not make you the the leader that Jesus is talking about here. Doubt. He goes on in, in verse 47, he just, he, I, 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 he pours it on. He says, woe to you, for you build the tombs, and that was another word for a monument of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Yeah, so you honor them. The problem was it was your fathers yes. who killed them. Yes. So what, what's happening yes. here? Yes, it's just an amazing thing that, Jesus is calling them to the very, he's, he's getting to the very heart like he does in so many other areas. He's getting to the heart of exactly what was going on with yes. these guys. And verse uh, 40, uh, 48 shows us what he is really picking at yes. with this tomb comment. He says, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers. Mind you, who did, what did their fathers do? They killed the prophets because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. You can't do it both ways. You can't ridicule and then celebrate as though you were in line with all of these people. You just simply can't do this. You are hypocrites, in other words. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. this is amazing language to just say those simple things that you're hypocrites. So verse 49, for this reason also, the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hinder those who were entering. Oh, my. Wow. Wow. This is a rebuke that is, I, I, this does away with the picture of the loving hippie Jesus. Yes, it's gone. And it is, it is, it's, he is telling them exactly from, and and he's using so many things that allude back to the, to the scripture that they knew and things he talks about in verse 51. He talks about the blood of Abel, the blood of Zechariah, and he talks about stories that they knew and, and to bring this to their world and said, the reason all of those things were happening were, were this was going to be, uh, uh, it, you're going to be held accountable for all of these things. And it said, I, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Yes. I, I, it's, an, it's just an amazing story to say uh, that uh, to, these, to these lawyers, to these uh, Pharisees, that you have so twisted what God has said that, he, like said, you yourselves 
can't enter. You don't. Mm-hmm. You you do. You do not enter, and you're keeping those that would enter from entering. Absolutely. You're hindering those that want to that want to enter. Yes. My goodness. The the scripture comes to my mind that says those that those that offend or are get, go against one of these little it'd be better uh, one of these little ones uh, that it would be better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and and and, and cast into this. It's. It's a staggering thing. And and this to me is where we have yet again another another pastoral uh, warning uh, to to look at ourselves in the modern church and ask this question. Our job is to help in walking in the joy of the Lord. This is what, again, 2 Corinthians 1. We're helping people to walk in the joy of the Lord. The question is... Are we hindering people while at the same time, okay, you could hinder people or you could cause somebody, you're not causing them to stumble, but maybe because of your ignorance as, as a teacher, as a leader, maybe maybe because of that, you're, you're not able to help them the way you need to. Fine. That's one thing. You're not doing this intentionally. But are you hindering those from entering the rest of the Lord? Meanwhile, you're not entering in either. Mm -hmm. You've done the same thing as these Pharisees. He says, you've taken away the key of knowledge. I I really interpret that to mean, you know, you've basically thrown it away. Mm -hmm. You you are, you have interpreted these things so wrong for so long, it has lost all meaning. Okay. And so he's saying, you've taken away the key to knowledge. You don't enter because you can't because you think you got to clean the outside in order for the inside. It's you're, you're backwards, right? He says, but you hinder those from entering as well. When Jesus turns the tables in the temple, what was the problem? These people had made it so hard and so they were extorting people so bad that these people couldn't even do the simplest of thing mm-hmm. of honoring God with their sacrifice. And so they're blocking them or hindering them. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we hindering people? And if so, is it because we ourselves have not entered the yeah. peace and the rest of yeah. Jesus Christ? That's a, it's a seriously sobering mm-hmm. question. My goodness. So these last two, last two verses of the chapter, it says, when he left there, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many, many subjects. I'm not surprised over that. And here that. it is, verse 54. Yes. Plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Now, we might not have seen that at the beginning as the reason for the invite, but I, I just conjectured that maybe that was the case. But here's what we do know emphatically. After these answers... They wanted him dead. Oh, absolutely. No they, question. They were ready. They were plotting against him. What a man, what a powerful uh, series of verses in this second podcast. We are encouraged uh, yet again by the scriptures because what we see is a God of mercy who is going to stop the, the the wolves and the sheep's clothing from attacking his people. He's going to put a stop to that. But meanwhile, he is calling us to repent and believe. He's calling us to walk with him. Let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's not be like the lawyers. But let us be a people who, who get that inside clean through Jesus' washing so that everything else can be clean Amen. on the outside. Okay, guys, we want to encourage you to, yet again, send us your emails, send us your 
um, send us your questions, send us your, uh, your thoughts, whether they confirm or whether they, they uh, challenge the ideas. We want to continue the conversation. So um, until tomorrow when we uh, head straight into Luke chapter 12, God bless and have a wonderful, wonderful day.